All right, well, good morning. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are really glad that you're here with us. Wherever you're joining us from, we are glad that you're taking time to be here with us. Thank you for joining us. We are in the middle of our series called The New Normal. And the basic idea behind this series is that Jesus changes everything. Right? When Jesus comes into our lives, when we put faith in Jesus, when God's Spirit touches our hearts and regenerates us and makes us come alive, there is change, there's transformation that happens. And it's a really joyful thing. And so we've been exploring the different ways that, that newness comes about in Christ. And so I, I thought about how Jesus really does change everything. And, and I thought about his ministry. And Jesus came to change things. Like that's the reason he came, right? When we think about his ministry, we think about the Sermon on the Mount. He's talking, you've heard it this way, but I say this. And you heard it was said, do this, but I say do this. And you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. I say don't even lust in your heart. You've heard it said, don't commit murder. I say don't even be angry in your heart toward your brother. Like, so Jesus is shifting things, right? And then that goes into life in Christ because he says, you were once far off, but now you've been brought near by the blood of Jesus. He says, you, you were divided and you were separate people, but now you're one in Christ. He says, you're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You've been brought together because of the blood of Jesus for his purpose. And so what we're going to look at today is this idea that Jesus changes things. And the, the way that I think Jesus established change or, or created the vehicle for change to happen on earth is this thing called the church. You see, Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. And nothing's going to stop it. And so Jesus came to create the church. And the church is God's plan for how he's going to implement change in this world. And as we see change happen, what we start to see is that change actually happens in the context of community. You see, Jesus changes people in community. So he creates a community for that change to happen. And that's the church. And that makes sense, right? When, when you think about what we do here at LifePoint, we say week after week, our mission is to influence people to find and follow Jesus. That's why we exist. That's what we're all about. And the reason we do that is because we want to see people become Christ-like influencers. We want to see change happen. Just like Jesus came to change things, we want to see change happen because we are his church and he is working through us to affect his change that he wants to do. So the change that happens is a result of Jesus working for his purposes. And I think that's what we're all about here. And it makes sense that God would work change in community because God created community. Right? You think about that? You ever been in a community where it feels like, man, there's something supernatural going on here? Or you have that connection with people. You're like, well, God must have done something to make this happen because there's no way we would have gotten together otherwise. You know, like there's, there's that kind of community that God creates. He joins us together for his purposes. I think about a time when I was a junior counselor at a camp in Hot Springs, Arkansas, and we, had, we were tasked with setting up a big tent to cover the, the girls' tents because the girls' camp out was scheduled for that night and it was supposed to be bad weather. So they had one of those really heavy-duty old army canvas tents. I don't know if you've ever seen those, but super-duper old. And I, I wasn't sure of the exact specifications, but I looked up what I, I guessed was about the estimate online. And it, I, it said online that it weighed probably between six to 1,100 pounds. And so then there's me. And I have to try to lift this thing, right? And so they say, John, you're a junior counselor. Do all the work. And so, but no, it was great. And, and I'm there lifting this one end of this thing, and I can't move it. 
I mean, I can't even move it. So I get another guy to come help me, and I get another guy to come help me, and another guy, and another guy. And pretty soon there are five of us on this one thing, and we're trying to find handholds, trying to lift this one end of the tent. And then Rodney came over. Now, Rodney is the strongest person that I've ever had the privilege of spending time with at any length. Rodney comes over, and he grabs the other end of it with one hand, and he looks back at us, and he's like, y'all having trouble back there? And he... We barely had this thing off the ground with five of us, and he's got one side of it all by himself. And I thought in that moment, I was like, man, we really need each other in this context. of We need to function together, right? We, it, it, I couldn't do this on my own. And that's why God creates this concept of community, because it teaches us dependence. What I love about it is when we think about this, this camp community, it's called Brook Hill I was there as a camper in third grade, all the way up to a junior counselor in high school, a senior counselor in college, an alumnus, and now I'm a parent of a camper, and I got to send my son to this camp. And, and I've seen that in years and years and years of community that's been built and being able to be a part of that. My best friends in the world are guys that I worked with at this camp, and I think, man, what a sweet, awesome community, but there is nothing that doesn't even begin to compare to the community in which God exists. You see, God himself exists in community. Jesus is coming to make change, and Jesus is God the Son, who exists in eternal community with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. So there's this one God in three persons, and because they exist in community, they say we need to exist in community because we need each other, because it teaches us to need God We need community. And if we're missing community, we're missing a part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so when I think about that, I think, okay, sounds good. Community is a good thing. God made it. Let's just get it. The end. But here's the problem. We don't want it all the time. So we need community, but we don't always want community. Right? There are those times that, that we crave our independence. We dig self-sufficiency, right? We like to do our own thing. You ever have a kid tell you, like, I can do it myself, leave me alone? You ever have an adult tell you that? Like, sometimes people say that. But we, we like that thought. I can do it myself. I don't need you. I, just let me do it. We like independence. But the thing is, is independence fights against the concept of community because it teaches us not to depend on God. And God gives us community because he says, you need to depend on me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You need relationship with me. So we need this community because community fights independence. And our independence actually separates us from God. It, it makes us trust on, our, on ourselves and lean on our own understanding instead of trusting in him. Because I think I can do it myself. But then when I see that there's this community and we're working together and where you're weak, I'm strong, and where I'm strong, you're weak, and like we, we, we see that we can work together for his purposes, and he uses us. We depend on God in community. We need that. And that is the picture that we're going to see as we dive into Scripture today. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2. And I want you to look at Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 37 and going through verse 47, which is the end of that chapter. And what, what we're going to do is look at the Bible, and I want you to hear this, that we believe the Bible is God's Word. That it's alive and it's active and it's powerful. And God speaks to us through his word, by his spirit. And he changes our hearts because of what he does through the Bible. And so I I would encourage you, if you don't have a Bible, man, we want to give you one. 
We've got Bibles out here at the welcome desk. If you're watching online, we want to mail you a Bible. Just let us know in the comments. We want to get you a copy of God's Word. You can download it for free. We're going to put it up here on the screens, but we want you to have it. We want you to read it because it's life-changing. So let's take a minute and let's look at Acts chapter 2, verses 37 to 47. It says, Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. And many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. And day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let me pray for us. God, because this is your word, we pray that you would speak to us clearly in this time, that we would hear from you and you alone. God, we want you to speak to us, that you give us wisdom and insight by your Holy Spirit. We commit this time to you. It's not about me or anybody else. It's about you right now. God, we just want to hear from you. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, to get a little context of this, what's going on is this is the beginning of the church. So God says, I came to change things. Jesus comes in the flesh and he starts changing things. And the way, the vehicle for that change is the church. And this is the beginning of the church. This is kind of the first taste of community that we get to see this church function in right after this initial sermon that Peter preaches. And that's what what happens here is to get a little bit of context, I want us to back up just one chapter and look at Acts chapter 1. And I want us to see what Jesus says right here because he says this, Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is going to come up on the screen here. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Judea, Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. He's saying the Holy Spirit is coming to empower you for two things. You're going to get power and be my witnesses. So this Holy Spirit is coming to give you the ability to do the things I call you to do And the thing I'm calling you to do is to be my witness. So he's saying, I I want you to go and live in this. I want you to function in this. Now, what's interesting about this this timing of when this happens is if you go back in the history of the nation of Israel, see, like God created people to have right relationship with him. And then people rejected God. And when we rejected God, God still made a promise to redeem us. And he creates this promise with this people called the nation of Israel. 
And in the nation of Israel, he says, I want you to remember how I provide for you. So we're going to have these festivals. And one of these festivals was called the Festival of Weeks. Some people call it Festival of First Fruits or the Festival of the, the Reaping. Um, Shavuot would be the, the name for it in Hebrew. But he says, this festival is when you're going to remember how I provide for you. And it's 50 days after Passover. Seven weeks after Passover, so they call it the Festival of Weeks. And he says, Passover is the day when the blood of the lamb on the doorposts is what saved you, right? That Jesus saves us then as the Passover lamb now, and then 50 days later, after Passover, there's this day, Shavuot, the Festival of Weeks, but the Hellenistic Jews started calling it Pentecost, And so what happens here in Acts chapter 2 is this day of Pentecost. Jesus says the Holy Spirit is coming and he's going to empower you to be my witnesses. And then the Holy Spirit comes at the beginning of Acts chapter 2 and there are these tongues of fire that appear over their heads and they're all speaking in this weird language and everybody hears it in their own native tongue and it's just this awesome experience and it's going on and and people are saying, what's going on? Are these guys drinking? What's happening? Right? I don't know what's going on. And Peter stands up and he starts to proclaim the gospel truth. He says, Jesus Christ died for your sins so that you could have right relationship with him because he's the Messiah. He's the Christ. He's the one that the whole Old Testament has talked about. That is who you crucified. And he died. But then he rose from the dead. And his Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, is now empowering the church. Do you get that? The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is empowering this church, and the church is starting. And that church then is going to go and bring that message of Jesus to the whole world. It's empowering the church to change the world. And so what we see here is that God gives us his spirit. God's community is filled with his spirit so that he gives us his power. God's community receives God's power by his spirit. I just think that it's so cool. It's the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, right? Then Peter sees the people respond. So he gives this sermon. He says, here's the gospel. You put your faith in Jesus and you're you're saved. And then so they say, well, brethren, what are we supposed to do? What do we do? In verse 37, he said, okay, they're pierced to the heart. What's interesting about the wording here is you see the pierced to the heart. It's the only place in the whole New Testament that word appears. As he says, they're pierced to the heart. They're cut down deep. Like God speaks right to their heart. God does something in them. They hear the gospel and the Holy Spirit works in their heart and then makes it alive. And they say, what do we need to do? We want to be saved right now. We want to do this. And Peter says, well, repent. And each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And he's saying repent is this idea of, of changing your purpose, changing your mind. It's metanoia. It's this, this, you're changing your direction. You were going this way, but now you're going this way. You're putting your trust in Jesus. And when you do that, then he says you're, you're saved. And you're going to receive the Holy Spirit. What's interesting where it says that word for forgiveness of sins, just to clarify, he's not saying you have to be baptized in order to get forgiveness of sins. He's saying you're baptized because you've had forgiveness of sins. Right? So he's saying you repent, and when you repent, that's you putting your faith in Jesus. When you put your faith in Jesus, then your sins are forgiven, and because those sins are forgiven, now go and be baptized. And he says, look, you receive the Holy Spirit. That's the word for receive is the same word that was in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It's that aggressively accepting it. Right? It's like grabbing a winning lotto ticket, not just taking a traffic ticket. You know, like, I, I, want, I want this. God, thank you for what you've given me. 
So there's this, this Holy Spirit. We receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he says, because the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. As many as the Lord will call to himself. And that last part to me is really comforting because God makes a promise and he's the one working it. He's the one who does it. We are called to obey. We're called to share. We're called to tell the truth. But, but this promise of God is that he is going to build his church. He's going to do what he wants to do. It's not about us. It's all about him. So then you go on and you look at the next verse. And it says, there's this concept of exhorting, right? He says, with many other words, he solemnly testified. He kept on exhorting them. He's saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Like, you got to do this. I'm begging you. I'm asking you, please, you've got to do this. It's kind of like, it's kind of a calmer way to do it in a sense, like where, where there's this sense of, um, of welcome in that word. Actually, the word for exhorting is the same word where we get the word for you're welcome in modern day Greek. My wife and I went there on our honeymoon, and when we were there, you know, you learn a couple phrases, and it was like, thank you, and you're welcome, and your welcome was parakalo. And you say parakalo, which is where we get the word paraclete, which is where we get the word Holy Spirit. And so it's this idea that the Holy Spirit, right, is exhorting, working through Peter to say, like, you're, you're welcome to this. You got to take it. I kind of think of it as like my grandma not taking no for an answer when she's trying to give you more food, you know, like, <laughs> You need this. You're getting too skinny. Eat something. You know, like that's, that's kind of what it's like. Paul, Peter's like, you got to do this, guys. You got to have some, you got to know this. And then he says, so those who received his word, those who hear the word, right, and then receive it and accept it and put their faith in Jesus, then they're, they're baptized right there. And that day they're added 3,000 souls. You see, because when we're empowered by the Holy Spirit, God's community is empowered by the Holy Spirit. God's community is then given this promise to share. God's community shares his promise. God's community is actively sharing his promise. So if you're a part of that community, you should be sharing the promises of God. You should be sharing his truth. That's what we're called to do. That's what we're supposed to do as his people. Then we get to the next verse, and this is one of my favorite verses, probably my favorite verse in this whole passage right here, and it's verse 42, and it says, and they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. What I love about it is it never says things are going to be great. It never says like, okay, well, now you have the Holy Spirit, so no more problems. He doesn't say that. He says, you have the Holy Spirit, keep going continually devote yourself to the apostles' teaching. Do we know this word? Do we know the Bible? Do we know the apostles' teaching? Continually devote yourself to the fellowship, this commonality, this community. Are we there for each other in that way? Continually devote yourself to the breaking of bread, this communion that reminds us of the sacrifice, the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ on the cross. And then his resurrection and the new life that comes. Do we, do we devote ourselves to that consistently? And then to prayer. And we've got to continually devote ourselves to prayer. We need to be people of prayer. And I love thinking about it because prayer is not something God needs us to do, Right? That's something he wants us to do and he invites us to do. He's not waiting for us to check in and give him the report so he knows what's happening. He's God. He knows it all. 
Okay? He's saying, I I want you to pray because I want this relationship with you because it's what's good for you and there is nothing in this world that will satisfy you apart from relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. So are we continually devoting ourselves to this? In the midst of whatever we're going through, in the midst of whatever difficulty there is, are we continually devoting ourselves to these things? That's the challenge that's put forth here. And look what happens when you do. When we're devoting ourselves to these things, there's, there's a sense of humility and unity in it, right? He says in verse 43, everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. There's this reverence, this God is doing something here. I don't know what it is, but as we've been looking at his word and as we've been praying and taking communion and really being there for each other, God's doing something. I don't know exactly how to explain it, but I'm in awe at what he's doing. I just dropped my notes, excuse me. And I'm in awe at what God's doing. Then he says, as these wonders and signs are taking place through the apostles, what does he say? All those who had believed were together and had all things in common. Now, it's easy for some of us, depending on political persuasion, to start to kind of bristle up a little bit right here because you're like, does that sound like socialism? I'm not sure. I'm not saying, all right, look, because what he's saying is this is not socialism. He's not advocating for that. In fact, what he's saying is that the church should be stepping up and meeting these needs as God's new community that should be caring for the people. And when governments or other organizations have to step up to do the job of the church, it's a judgment on the church. We need to step up. It says they had all these things in common and started selling their property and their possessions and they're sharing them with everybody as anyone might have need. You need something? I've got something? Let me help you. That's what I want to do. But that fights against our independence, right? That fights against me saying, I want one that's bigger. You can, you're not going to have it. You know, like that, it fights against that. The concept of community. That's what God's driving at here. Look at this. He says, in verse 46, day by day, continuing, they kept going, with one mind, they're unified in this purpose in the temple, and they're breaking bread from house to house, taking their meals, how? Together with gladness. And that word for gladness can be translated as like ecstatic delight, wild joy. When's the last time you had wild joy? Like wild. When has that happened for you? It says they're taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. It's not fake. This is real. They're single-minded. They're on the same page. There's one purpose here, and it's the exaltation of Christ. It's glorifying God. That's why the church exists. And the way that happens is that there's this community That God creates. God's community is empowered to share his promise and to love his people. God's community loves his people. That's important for us to remember. Because it's very easy for us to forget the love. What What I'm really thankful for in this piece is that God's community is here to love me because I'm dumb. Okay? And and I say that with all sincerity. Like, there are so many times in my life I could point to when I thought I knew what I should do. When I thought I knew what God had for me. I thought, oh, God, okay, for sure. This is the direction my career is going to go. He's like, nope, you're going this way. And I was like, okay, I didn't see that. But there were people in my community that said, hey, have you prayed about this? 
hey man, let me give you some wisdom. Let me, let me guide you in this way. And these mentors spoke into my life and they said, this is, you need to think about this. I was dating this one girl and I was like, all right, God, it kind of looks like I might marry her. And God's like, nope, you're going to marry this girl. And she's way more amazing than anything I could have ever imagined, right? But I would, and she's not even here. I'm just saying that because I'm being honest. Like, I, I love my wife. I do. She's incredible. And I think about that and I think, man, my, I never would have seen that if I'd have been stuck in my stupidity. But thank God for the community of faith that came around me and said, here's, here's what you should think about. Have you thought about marriage and why and, and what this is about and what's your motivation for doing this here? It's like, oh, probably not the right motivation. I need to think about that. And, and God used the community around me to point me in the right direction. There was this really interesting study that came out um, actually last week, and, or they published results last week, and they said that there are seven different distorted thinking patterns that children and teens are especially susceptible to. So this is something that, that the children and teens of America today are especially stuck in these ruts, and they're things like all-or-nothing thinking, right? Like, either I get the A on the test, or I'm the worst person that's ever lived, I'm like jumping to conclusions, like, well, she didn't say hi to me, so she must want to kill me. Like those kind of wrong, conclu- right? Those kind of thinking. The, the negative filtering. You ever know those people who just, no matter what you say, it's like, hey, it's a great day today. It's like, Debbie Downer, nope, there's somebody dying somewhere. Like they're just negative everything, right? And then there's catastrophizing. I don't even know if that's really a word, but that's what they called it. But, but like making everything into the worst possible scenario that could happen. Right? Then there's should thinking. Like the, you're, you're shoulding someone. Like, you're, oh, I should have done this. I should have done that. I didn't do it right. So I'm, I'm kind of ashamed all the time. Then there's negative labeling. Like I've done enough wrong stuff in my life where I'm just a terrible person. That's the label on me. And that's what I'm going to be forever. And I label myself negatively. And then the last one is negative comparisons. My goodness. How much do we compare ourselves with someone other than Jesus? And we waste our time comparing. And it's a trap and we get caught in it. But here's the good news. Is that Jesus and the community of faith that he provides, that he empowers, that shares his promise, that loves his people, that community, the church, affects every one of these. Look at this next quote. It says this. It says, Jesus is the answer to all of our distorted thinking patterns. And his answer comes through the church, a community that exists by the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory of God, fully aware of its insufficiency apart from Christ, yet fully confident in Christ's sufficiency. Isn't that great? Like, man, Jesus has the answer for all this stuff. There are these seven negative thinking patterns. Imagine what it could look like if the church really became that community that came around our children and teenagers and said, I know you're tempted to think this way, but that's just not true. Let me tell you the truth. Let's look at the apostles' teaching together. Let's look at the word of God together. Let's look at what he has to say. And then the Holy Spirit would speak through that and change their thinking. And when they change their thinking, that's what leads to repentance and growth in Christ. That's exactly what God intends. So you may be saying to yourself, how do I do this? How do I get connected with a community? Well, here's what's great. We have lots of ways, 
Okay, there's a slide on our website that shows all the different types of groups. This is just a few of them, but you can go check out a starting point group. You can check out foundations. Starting point's kind of like beginning a conversation about Jesus. Foundations is kind of understanding the next layer of like, what are these foundational truths to build faith upon? Um, Small groups. Maybe we have small groups that meet all over the place. Some of them are meeting in people's homes. Some of them tailgate and sit in a parking lot with the COVID stuff. Some people are meeting outdoors. Some people meet virtually on Zoom calls and all that. But we've got small groups for you if you want to get connected in this community. Because it's very easy to come here in in the morning or to, to be connected in a larger group and never get that intimate connection. But when you're in that small group community, that's when spontaneity kind of happens and God just works. And it's like, oh, I never knew you like that. Let's start doing this together. And hey, we'll study this together. And we both grow as disciples because of what God did when we happened to meet that time. Right? Like God works in those kind of, I don't serendipitous might be the wrong word, but like in those, those times when, when he just happens to make things happen. Right? And that happens in the context of smaller groups. You could join Bible study. We've got a fall Bible study. We've got a winter or spring Bible study. And we've got a summer Bible study. That goes on. Um, mops and moms next. If you're, if you're a mom, man, we need help, right? Moms need help. My, my wife's a mom. Uh, care and support groups. We've got groups like Grief Share and Divorce Care and Celebrate Recovery and Changing Cancer. We've got, we've got all these groups that are right there for you when you're in the midst of the hardest things you're going through, your hurts, your habits, your hangups. We're like, man, okay, we want to come along and create this community around you to point you back to the truth of God's word. That's what community does. Then you've got marriage ministry. We've also got men's ministry, women's ministry. There's a lot of stuff that's not listed here. But what I'm saying is there are plenty of opportunities to connect in community. How are you doing it? Join a group. Get connected. There's no substitute for the community of God. And I don't want you to miss that. Because, man, he's got great stuff for you. And I think if we get this, then this passage in Philippians 2, and I think it's really cool that that's what we read from during the, the worship service, um, or during the songs, is Philippians 2, verse 15 says this. It says that we would be like these lights shining in the world. Look, so that you'll prove yourselves as a community of God to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Remember, right, what Peter said? Be saved from this perverse generation. He said, among whom you appear as lights in the world. Isn't that a great image for the church? Wouldn't it be great if we appeared as lights in the world, shining brightly for him and his purposes? Man, that's what God calls us to. That's the new community that we have in Christ. I want to encourage you to be a part of it. Shine brightly for him. Let me pray for us. Father God, I thank you for your word, your Holy Spirit that empowers us. I thank you for the the community of faith that you've created in this thing called the church. And God, I thank you that there are so many stories that we can't even begin to touch on all the time that small groups or support groups have been there for somebody when they needed a visit in the hospital or, or a meal at home or just a call or a hug or whatever it is, God. We, we've got this support network around us that you've created, that you've empowered by your Holy Spirit. God, you empower your community. You give us your power. And then you call us to share your promise. And then you call us to love your people. You call us to love your people, God. Help us to do that. To experience the power of your Holy Spirit. To promise. 
and to love your people. We love you, Lord. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.